All right, if you got your Bibles and you want to follow along, turn with me, Romans chapter 14, and our text tonight is going to be in verses 5 through 9. Uh, Romans 14, and the specific text we're going to be looking at is verses 5 through 9. Now, I don't want to mislead you. If you were here last week, this lesson is about the exact same thing, okay? Um, and you might say, well, why didn't you just cover both of them at the same time? Well, the reason is, is because Paul's going to deal with the same subject, and, but he is going to say something that deserves its own lesson. In fact, I remember the first time I, I really read through the book of Romans about 10 or 12 years ago, and I saw this, and I was like, okay, I cannot believe he just said that. And I ended up preaching about it shortly thereafter. It made such an impact on me. So I didn't want to just squeeze those, you know, verses 1 through 9 all into one lesson because what he's going to say tonight uh, deserves us taking some time to think about it. So here's what Paul is dealing with. Paul is dealing with, in this chapter, the danger of division between born-again Christians when we disagree about spiritual things. Not major things, but minor things. Now, I said last week, Paul's not talking to non-believers. He's not talking to people who just come to church on Sunday and then they go home and never give it another thought the rest of the week. That's not who he's talking to. He's talking to people who have faith. Now, he said some people have weak faith, some people have strong faith, but he is talking to born-again uh, believers. And he understands that sometimes, even as born-again believers, you and I can come to a subject and we can disagree. And if we're not careful, we can let that actually damage our um, relationship. Now, last week, we're going to do a real quick review. We looked at verses 1 through 4, and Paul was dealing with one of these issues. And of all things, it had to do with eating meat. Let me read verses 1 through 2 again. He says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only Vegetables. Now, as we said last week, this has nothing to do... You got a church, and some people are vegetarians. They won't eat meat. And some people are eating meat. It has nothing to do uh, with being a vegetarian because you choose it as a healthy lifestyle. It has nothing to do uh, with not eating meat because you, um, uh, for some reason, don't think you should kill animals. It's got nothing to do with any of that. It almost certainly has to do with the fact that meat in those days that had been offered to idols in pagan temples was then taken and sold at the meat market. And some people just did not feel comfortable eating meat that had been offered to idols. Other people had no uh, problem with it. Now, Paul dealt with this issue specifically in, um, in, in Corinthians, and here he seems to be dealing with it in Romans as well. Now, what did he say? He said this. He said, don't despise one another, don't judge one another welcome one another, accept one another, because your differences is over things that he calls opinions. They're not major things. They're not over things like did Jesus rise from the dead or, uh, you know, major things. They are what we would consider minor things. Now, I sat down, and, and this is what I love about Scripture. You know, some people look at Scripture and think it's so outdated. Folks, it's not. It's as relevant today as it was then. The issue that Paul dealt with in that day was eating meat offered in a pagan temple. We've got all kinds of things today 
that Christians can disagree over. I just sat down and made a few of them. For example, tattoos. Some people think it's okay to have two tattoos. Some Christians may think, no, you shouldn't do that. We can disagree over things in the culture, like whether we should go to movies or listen to country music or, or go to dances. We can disagree over alcohol. We can disagree over masks. We can disagree over vaccines. We can disagree over uh, whether you should homeschool or not, what kind of clothes you should wear. We don't think about this that much, but there's some churches that women don't wear pants, right? We can disagree over whether a man can come in here and wear a hat or not, right? Some people would say, that's a big no-no, and others say, people say, what's the big deal? We can go on and on and on, but here's what Paul is saying. You remember what he said in, 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 in verse 3? He said, those who eat meat don't despise those who don't, right? And those who don't, don't judge those who do. Well, we could say the same. We could say something like this. Let those who don't get tattoos not despise those who do. And let those who do get tattoos, let them not judge those who don't. Or maybe Paul would say this. Don't let those who wear a mask despise those who don't. And don't let those who don't wear masks judge those who do. Or maybe he says something like this. Don't let those who don't get vaccines despise those who do. And don't let those who don't get vaccinated Are you with me? We could go on and on and on. See, the principle is exactly the same as it was in the days of the Roman Empire. The thing they were... Uh, messing around about or arguing about was whether or not they should eat meat offered to idols. We got a whole different ball game here today, but the principle is exactly the same. Okay. Now I hope that you and I can agree that none of those issues I listed are major. You may feel strongly about them. In fact, I'll tell you here in a minute, you should feel strongly about them, but they're still minor issues and things like those things have led to Christians uh, relationships being torn apart. It's led to, in some cases, church splits. And of all things, and, and in any of those cases, it always leads to disrepute on the name of Christ. And Paul wants us to avoid that. Now, like I said, Paul wrote that scripture 2,000 years ago, but he knew that in every century, in every church, there was always going to be these issues coming up because technology changes, culture changes, things change. But the principle doesn't change. And Paul understood that you're always going to find these type of things in a body of believers. And unless we have a right mindset, unless we have a right perspective, it can cause us a lot of, of damage. So what does Paul do? Again, this is last week. He gave us three truths. Okay, three huge theological truths because he wants us to have the right perspective. Here's the first one in, in verse 3. I just quoted it. He says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. This is what Paul wants you to see. If you have a disagreement with your brother or sister, Paul wants you to see that God has welcomed your brother and sister. God has accepted them by faith, not because of anything they did, not because of anything they will do. He accepts them by faith. They stand righteous and accepted by God, just as you do. Paul says you need to be very careful lest you treat people any other way. The second great truth he gave us was in verse 4. 
He said, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. So Paul, what Paul wants us to see is that brother or sister that you disagree with, they serve a master and that master is not you. And one day they're going to give account to their master just as you will. You need to focus not on what they're doing. You need to focus on what you're doing. That's what you need to focus on. Get, you, get your eyes off of them. They're going to answer to God one day, but so are you. Start, start taking, you need to look at what you're doing. Keep that in front. The third thing he tells us is this. He says, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he says this. He, and he's talking here about every believer, will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Listen, folks, the future of believers is not up for grabs. One day, the weak believer and the strong believer is going to stand before God, and they're not going to be condemned. That's what Paul means. They are going to stand. Why? Because God will make them stand. God's going to do that. You, you, uh, again, it's not about it that day what I did. It's about faith, my faith in Jesus Christ. And if God, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then it is God who will make you stand. So here's the three things Paul told us. God has accepted both of you. God is going to judge both of you, and God is going to make both of you to stand. Those are the three great truths, and Paul says that should give you the right perspective. Now, let me put it another way. Paul's solution to being ruined by little things is to keep the big things front and center. Okay? Let me say that again. Paul's solution in a body of believers like ours, so that we aren't broken apart, so our unity isn't compromised by little things, is that we all keep the big things front and center. Okay? That's his solution. Now, tonight, in verses 5 through 9, Paul's going to deal with the exact same thing. But he's going to deal with it in a different way. Okay? So I want to I look at two minor issues that he brings up. This is in verses 5 through 6. Paul says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So he comes up with two minor issues, okay? The first one is days. He says, one person esteems one day is better than another, and another esteems all days alike. So there are people in the church... And they are disagreeing about the importance of days. How to treat a certain day. What, what should you do on a certain day? How to think about a certain day. Now, this more than likely had to do with Sabbath keeping. You remember the Jews are coming into the church and they have always recognized Saturday, which is the seventh day, as the Sabbath. But the church, the Gentiles, begin to recognize Sunday as the Sabbath, because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. So you've got this difference in the church about what's the Sabbath day? Which day should we, should we treat as the Sabbath? Which day should we set aside uh, for the Lord, if you will? So that might have... Now, Paul didn't tell us that. I'm just kind of guessing here, but that might have been one of the things. They could have been arguing or, or having differences of opinion about Jewish holidays. Should they still celebrate holidays like the Passover, or, or is all of that gone? Okay? We don't know. Paul just says some people think these days are important and some people don't think they're important. Now, for now, let's just kind of look at this as a, 
a, a broad reference to celebrations people disagree about. For example, we still do this today. You'll run into Christians who don't think we should celebrate Christmas. Other Christians say, why not? Let's just go for it, right? Or you may celebrate Easter or even things like Halloween. We may disagree on whether Christians should uh, esteem a certain day as special or not. Okay, So that's, again, it was written 2,000 years ago. It's just as relevant today for you and I. The second minor issue that Paul deals with is the same issue he dealt with in verses 1 and 2, and that is food. Look at verse 6 again. He says, The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. The one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now, here's where Paul's going to do something a little bit different. We just went over it, right? He, he, he had this problem in verses 1 and 2. What was his answer? Don't despise one another. Don't judge one another. Welcome one another. Remember that God has accepted both of you. God is going to judge both of you, and God is going to make you stand. That was his answer. But this time, he says something different. And what he says, I don't know about you, but what he says almost seems to make the situation worse. In verse 5, he says this, Each one should be, say it with me, fully convinced in his own mind. Now, before we go any further, I want to show you the gravity of what he just said. Now, first of all, this isn't at all what I would have expected him to say. I'm a parent. I raised two boys. And if you're a parent here and you've got multiple children, you've been in the middle of fights, right? You've been in the arguments. And how many times as parents, we walk in a room and they're arguing over that, my, that was my doll first or she's sitting where I'm sitting or that's my sock. What's the first words out of your mouth? It doesn't matter, right? You're, you're trying to get across to them how stupid this is, right? You're arguing and, and hating on one another for the most minute things. Now, f f by the way, that's a complete waste of your breath. They never accept that. <laughs> Okay, you're just wasting, it's, it's incredibly important to them. But we see it for what it is, don't we? And we want to say it doesn't matter. See, that's what I thought Paul would have said to you and I. You and I are disagreeing about something. Let's say I think you should wear a mask and you think you don't. And, and we're sitting here and I feel strongly about it and you feel strongly about it. And next thing you know, man, we're, we're kind of getting cross with one another. And I, why don't you see it my way? And you're looking at me saying, well, why don't you see it my way? And I would have expected Paul to say, guys, come on, it's masks. It don't matter. But that's not what he says. In fact, I, I could even see Paul uh, maybe making a concession and saying something like, guys, it's okay. Each person could have their own opinions. But he doesn't say that at all. He says each one should be, say it with me again, fully convinced in his own mind. By the way, that is the exact same word that Paul uses in Romans 4, 21 to 22, when he talks about the faith of Abraham. You remember God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to give Sarah a son. Now, by the way, Sarah had been barren her whole life. They had tried to have children over and over and over again. She never could have children. Now she's like 75 years old. The Bible says she's past the age of women. She's in past menopause. 
physically she cannot have a child. It is impossible. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to give her a son. And this is what it says. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. He was fully convinced. That means he had no doubts that God was able to do what he said he was, would do. By the way, this is the opposite of what Paul will talk about later in Romans 14, 23, when he says this, whoever has doubts, that word means is not fully convinced, is condemned if he eats because eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So when Paul says we are to be fully convinced about tattoos or masks or alcohol or, or whatever it is we're thinking about, whatever this minor issue is, he's saying you don't need to have any doubts. Whatever you believe, you don't have doubts about that. Now, again, I just want you to see how odd of a thing this is, right? So I want us to stop and think about it. So here, I want you to think about a church. And you got people in this church, and they are arguing. They're arguing over days. Some, of them, some people think you should celebrate Christmas, and some think you shouldn't. Some of them are arguing over vaccines. Some people are saying you should take the vaccine. Some people are saying you shouldn't. They're arguing over masks. Some people are thinking you wear a mask, some you don't. They're arguing over tattoos. They're, you name it, they're arguing. All these minor things. They all believe in Jesus. They all love Jesus. They all, all believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They all believe in the, the, the Trinity. They believe in all the major things, but they're just arguing over these little things. And by the way, their feelings are strong. And what happens is they're starting to say things that are destructive to relationships. And they're starting to do things that are destructive to relationships. They're starting to despise one another. And they're starting to judge one another. And they're starting to not accept one another. And you would think, you would think that Paul would walk into the room and say, Guys, come on, lighten up. These are just minor things. They don't, they don't mean anything. You, you shouldn't have a strong feeling about any of those things. That's not what he says. He says, you should be fully convinced in your own mind about what you're doing. Have no doubts about it. Now, I don't know about you, but that almost looks like he's throwing gas on the fire. It's almost like you walk into this room and, and let's say we were talking about vaccines. And I just said, all right, everybody, I need you to pick a side. No more wishy-washy, no more waffling. You're either for it or you're against it. Pick a side. Quit fighting about it and get on your side. That's what Paul is doing. Make a decision. Pick a side. Take a stand. You see, to Paul, even minor things, what we would call non-essentials, does not allow for flimsy convictions. They call for clear convictions and full faith with no doubting. Now, that is an amazing thing to me. I, I never forget the first time I read that, and I thought, he can't be saying what he's saying, but he is. Now, here's the question. What are we supposed to learn from this? What, what can we take away from this? Well, here's the first thing. There is a way for Christians in churches to get along when we have differences. But the way to do that is not to be indecisive. Okay? Let me say that. That Paul just throws that out the window. There's a way to get along. But the way to get along 
is not to be indecisive. By the way, that don't you see that's what the world does? We're seeing more and more churches out in the world just say, man, it don't matter what you believe. It don't matter what kind of sin you got in your life. It, it, it just, we're all in this together. Just come on in. We're, we're, we're getting re- the idea anymore that you have a strong conviction, they'll call you a bigot. They'll call you unloving. Right? I mean, now it's just, they just want to tolerate everything. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not the way this works. In fact, Paul would say that a peace like that, that comes from having no convictions or being wishy-washy, is not a peace worth having. That's not a peace worth having. When when Paul weighs the risk of here's a person who is wishy-washy about minor things, they really don't have any strong convictions, against a person who has strong feelings and strong faith, and strong convictions about even... Paul says, I want that guy. I don't want somebody that's not willing to take a stand. I'd rather... Give me the guy that'll take a stand, even if he's wrong on the minor things. You remember last week, I told you the people that eat meat, Paul was convinced they were wrong. But he never criticized them. He says, that's the kind of people I want. People that'll, that'll dig into an issue and struggle with that issue and come to a, a belief in that issue and take a stand. That's the kind of person that I want. In fact, not only does he want that, I'll say it again, he advocates for it. Each one should. Not maybe you can or you might can or you might possibly can. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So we can go back to that list. Tattoos, alcohol... Uh, uh, how to dress or, or, or whether to listen to certain types of music or whether to take vax, you should be fully convinced about each one of those things. You should have an opinion about those things. Now, let's ask a few questions. What are we supposed to be fully convinced of? He just says you're supposed to be fully convinced, but fully convinced of what? Paul is not saying that we should be fully convinced that my way is the only way, right? That would defeat the whole purpose. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you should be convinced that yours is the only way that God's going to get any glory or yours is the only way that God's going to be magnified. That's not what he's saying. I think what he's saying is this. You should be convinced that what I'm doing is not sinful. Let me say it again. You should be convinced that what I'm doing... Tattoos, vaccines, alcohol, mask. We could go right on down the line. You should be convinced that what I'm doing is not sinful. You should also be convinced that what I'm doing honors Christ. What I'm doing honors Christ. And you should also be fully convinced this is the best thing for me. Maybe not for somebody else, but this is the best thing for me. Now... Let's ask this question. Why is it it, it so important, do you think, to Paul that we be fully convinced of even minor things? Why is that such a big deal? It seems to me that we should be convinced of the big things. But Paul says you should even be convinced of the minor things. Why is it so important to him? I'll give you a few things. In fact, I think Paul answers this in verses 7 through 9. He says kind of this weird thing, but I'll tell you in a minute why he says it. Paul says this, because, that's what the word for means, because none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. 
For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Okay, let me give you three reasons why it matters. It matters first and foremost because he is our Lord. He is our master. It should absolutely matter what we do. If, if you really believe that, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Master, then as you go through this life, you should be seeking His will and seeking to please Him in all things. You shouldn't ever look at anything like, that doesn't matter. That doesn't really matter. Listen, how you dress matters. Things like that matter to Him. And we should be seeking His will. That's the first thing. Number two, it matters because in the same vein, our life is not our own. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If you are a Christian and you believe that, that is true for you. This is not your life anymore. It's not you living. Christ is living through you. And so certainly the things that we do or the things that we don't do, the things that we participate in or the things we abstain from should be important because it's his life. What does he want? We should be asking that. Number three, it matters because everything you do has the potential to bring glory to God. Now, you may say, come on, what, what difference does the little things make? This is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I mean, he picks the most mundane things that you and I do every single day. We eat and we drink. Every day. And he says, even that, do it to the glory of God. Okay? Now, just a very friendly reminder. If you're one of those that just, you just think, man, the minor things don't matter. Let me say this. If you get lazy with the little things, it's just a matter of time where you can get lazy with the big things. Let me say that again. If you get lazy in your life with the little things, well, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. All of a sudden, a little bit bigger things don't matter either. You get lazy with the little things. You get Be on your P's and Q's with the little things, and you'll be on your P's and Q's with the big things. But you get lazy little, you'll get lazy big. Now, here's the hard part. Listen to me closely. We may come to a situation, again, vaccines or masks or tattoos or whatever subject you want to pick. And we may, we may get in there and we pray about that thing. And we, we feel like, man, I got a word from God. I, I'm, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that. We have to understand that other people may come to the exact same situation and come up with the exact opposite answer. Everybody with me? Shake your head if you understand that's what Paul is saying. Some people eat. Some people don't. Some people observe days. Some people don't. Some people get tattoos. Some people don't. Some people get the vaccine. Some people don't. We, can, we have to understand that. Now, let me say, that is very easy for those words to come out of my mouth. But that only gets us so far. And here's why. We may say that, that I have to be open to the possibility that that other person may come to a different conclusion. Okay, you, you, I may say, okay, I have to be open to that possibility. But that is not easy for us to believe. 
You know, I come to a situation and I ask myself, what will honor the Lord in this situation? What will honor the Lord? And I come to a decision. I I decide I'm not going to drink alcohol. I just don't think it honors the Lord. I I think it it can tempt. I, I got all these reasons that I don't drink alcohol. And then one day, and I just think, I feel good about it. I'm I'm, I'm fully convinced in my own mind. And then one day, I see a brother, and guess what he's doing? He's drinking alcohol. And I'm like, well, what is up with that? How could you come to a different conclusion that I did? Or I may decide I'm going to wear a mask or not wear a mask. And somebody else comes to the... And I'm thinking, I weighed all this out, and I came to this decision. How could you come to another decision? See, that makes it really, 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 and I could just keep on, really hard not to see other options as seriously defective. Are you with me? When you've put all your your thought into it and you really, really got before God and you come to a decision, that makes it almost impossible, if you will, to look at somebody who has the opposite decision and say, and be okay with that. Your natural instinct is to judge them. Your natural instinct is to despise them. Okay? Paul knows that. So what's his answer? His answer is the exact same thing that it was last week. Keep the big things front and center. Don't focus on the fact that they're different. Keep the big things front and center. Now... He's going to do this in three steps, and what he does is really cool, okay? And I'm not going to list three things. I'm going to list steps because he's going to tell us something. He's going to prove it in step two, and he's going to prove it again in step three. So I'm going to show you the three steps that Paul gives us in order that we keep the big things. And I want you to remember what he's trying to do. He's trying to help us to have firm convictions about issues in our life while at the same time believing that Christ can and will get glory from somebody else who does the exact opposite. Everybody with me? That's what Paul is trying to get us to see, okay? So here's step one. Here's the first thing he says. Paul makes this radical claim that Christians on both sides of the issue are honoring God in what they do. Look at verse 6. Let's read it again and make sure we see what he says. The one who eats is eating in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains does not eat, abstains what? In honor of the Lord. The one who gets the tattoo does it in honor of the Lord. The one who decides not to get the tattoo does it in honor of the Lord. The one who wears the mask does it in honor of the Lord. The one who doesn't wear the mask, are you with me? That's radical. How in the world? Can two people do opposite things, and yet they are both doing it to honor the Lord? How's that possible? In fact, I don't think we can just let him get away with that. I think he has to prove it. Because as I said, it is incredibly, incredibly difficult for you and I to believe that someone who chooses the exact opposite, not just a little bit different, That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about one eats and one doesn't. He's talking about somebody choosing the exact opposite behavior of you, and both of you are doing it in honor of the Lord, and and Jesus is going to be lifted up and magnified. That is incredibly difficult for me to believe, Paul. So I think you need to prove it. 
Because that is exactly what Paul is saying. Two people can do the opposite things, and they're both bringing honor to God. Now, how does he prove it? He proves this in step two. Now, this is the cool part. In order to prove his claim that two people can do the opposite things and they both give glory to God, Paul chooses the ultimate in opposites. Do you know what the ultimate in opposites are? Life and death. Okay? Look at verse 8. Paul says, If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Now, don't miss what Paul is doing. If you are alive, right, if your body's alive, you can enjoy all the blessings that God has given us. You can enjoy food. You can enjoy drink. You can enjoy sex. You can enjoy exercise. You are, you are participating in all life has to offer, right? But the moment you die, your participation is over, right? Your body's in the grave. It can't do any of those things anymore, right? In fact, life is the ultimate in participation. Death is the ultimate in abstaining. Let me say it again. There, can you think of anything more opposite than life? Some people eat, some people don't. Some people live, some people die. Life is the ultimate in, a, in, in participating in God's blessings. Death is the ultimate in abstaining. And Paul says that both of those two things, as opposite as they are, are experienced by believers to the glory of God. Okay? Paul, what Paul's doing here is very simple. He's saying, look, you don't think opposites can bring glory to God? Look at life and death. I live to the glory of God and I die to the glory of God. Whether I live or whether I die, I belong to God. Both of those things can bring him glory. And if God can get glory from opposites like life and death, he can certainly get glory from little things like meat and days and tattoos and masks and vaccines, and oh, so on, and so on, and so on. Now, step three. He needs to prove what he just said. He just said that life and death both bring glory to God. That life and death can both magnify the name of Jesus. He's going he's gonna to prove that claim through the resurrection. Look again at verses 8 and 9. Paul says this, So then, whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. For to this end, for this purpose, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and he might be the Lord of the living. Two exact opposite things. Someone may ask, how, and, and this would be a good question. Hey, I know as long as I'm alive, I can glorify God, right? I can, I can glorify him with the words of his, my mouth. I can glorify him with my actions. I can lift my hands, I can sing hymns, I can, I can get up here on a, on a stage and teach. A person that's alive can do all these incredible things to glorify God. But how, how can somebody that's dead do that? They, have no, they can't speak anymore, they can't raise their hands anymore, they can't teach the word anymore, they can't give thanks anymore. So how in the world could somebody that's dead be dead to the glory of, of God. Paul says it's possible because of one thing, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the fact is this. Christ died and rose again to destroy the power of death and the enemy. The fact is that now when I die, I, you think this is life. You think this is life? This is nothing compared to where we're going. 
In fact, I will shed this body and I will step through into a life that... What's the old, who was the guy that said that? He said, one day you'll read in the paper about my, my death. Huh? D.L. Moody. He said, don't believe that for a moment. I'll be more alive on that day than I ever have on this earth. See, the resurrection of Jesus, I live again because he lives again. So whether we are alive, we are the Lord's. And whether we're dead, we're still the Lord's. Whether we're alive, we're glorifying His name, or whether we're dead, I may not be glorifying it here, but I'm glorifying it somewhere. Death is not the end because of His resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we thank You tonight as we always do for Your Word, Lord. And I would just ask that we would take this to heart tonight, that Holy Spirit, You would just drive this home, that as a, as a body here, we've got incredible unity here at River of Life. It is an incredible thing. But it's not something it, that we can just take for granted. It's something that we need to preserve. And the way that we preserve it is by doing what your word says. First of all, I pray that you help us here at, at River of Life keep the main thing the main thing. To keep you and your word and your son and your Holy Spirit, they are the big things that we need to focus on. Let the minor issues be minor issues and let us see them as that. God, so I just pray, first of all, that everybody here would just, would understand that. And they've been, we've all, I think we've been a great job of walking that out through your spirit. And I just pray, Lord, that we would continue to do that in the days and weeks and years ahead. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.